Hello and welcome back to the Y Comics Podcast. I'm your host Jesse and with me today is one of the writers of the Cloak and Dagger TV show and the writer of comics such as Infidel and next week, The Good Asian. It's Pornsack Pichote. I think I said your name last name wrong even though I, we practiced it. Um, I know on your Twitter you see a face blindness. I have name blindness basically. <laughs> where... I, I might I might have that as well, so no worries. Uh, because, like, I, I was talking to... I had a and d with friends last night, and we were talking about My Hero Academia. And, and this is just me with every TV show and every book and everything. Where I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the lightning guy. He's like, haven't you seen five seasons of this show? I'm like, <laughs> I wouldn't know your name unless we had to talk to each other every day. Like, that's just <laughs> how this works for me. <laughs> that's fantastic. That so, is yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so bad with names. It's one of my... My qual the qualities of my life I would like to change is like just be better. Yeah, don't 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 worry about it. And uh, and uh, and actually, my name is uh deceptively not tricky. It's actually completely phonetic. So it's Pornsack Pichet Show. So it's almost exactly the way it looks on, okay. on the page. Yeah, it, it's the thing is like you you get tricked for so long that you're like I gotta I gotta believe it has to be something else. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like you uh, people want to like add an extra thing to it, and it's actually exactly the way it looks. Um, I wanna uh, first off, how are you doing? I wanna always ask uh, that. Thank you, thank you. Uh, doing doing well. Like I said, I'm at a different place than I usually am. I'm at my sister's, so I appreciate you. You know, the lights might flicker and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but I appreciate you. I appreciate you asking. Uh, it, it, uh, it, this must be a very exciting week because Google Asian comes out uh, next week, and all everybody's reading it now. Like the preview, previews, I read it this morning, um, and. Uh, I'm, 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 like I, I love getting the previews, but also I'm like I want the physical book in my hand. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the way I like to read. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'm the same way. It's so funny because, it, I'm, and I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm exactly the same way. Which is one of the reasons why that like, and not it, it wasn't entirely intentional, but like there's a little bit more in the actual not not in terms of story or comics, yeah. but like just in terms of design pages and back matter and all that. There's a little bit more in the physical sort of comic than in the digital. So yeah. even if you've read the digital, like the advanced PDFs that reviewers have, like you'll still get something. I hope from like actually yeah. having that comic in your hand and reading it. And seeing all the covers, because you just posted all the covers for the first issue because you got them all. It's like, yeah. man, this is the first book. I'm like, I want all those covers, but I don't have the <laughs> budget for all those covers. Hey, I feel the same way. You know, it, it, it's so funny because um, I was just talking about this with somebody. You know, I, I'm i sort of an old fogey of just kind of like our variant covers bringing down the world and blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, but like my friend, I, I talked about with my friend Jody Le- Lehop, who does yeah. uh, Shortless Bear Fighter and he does Weatherman. And he's got this great perspective on them that he sort of says every artist that you get for a variant cover, it increases the world of your book. Mm-hmm. It it lets people see different variations and aspects and interpretations of what you've done and actually makes the world bigger and makes it sort of bigger a conversation. And ever since he said that, I think he kind of turned me like 180 on like variant covers because like when you see all that sort of stuff, you see there's a richness to the world in a yeah. different way than if it's just you and your you and your team. And I think variants, depending on the company, because there's some companies yeah. that do too many variants, but I think depending on the variants of how many variants you're getting on a book, lets people know, hey, you might want to check this out. Because if a book's yeah. getting the variants, that means that the company behind the book's like, this is going to be big enough to warrant all these variants. Yeah. Uh, there's some, also that too yeah there's some companies that are like oh, i got the money i'm just gonna get the variants for the, <laughs> right. my books but uh yeah I, I think variants are some also indicator of how big a book is going to be or how much a company believes in a book and also um, sometimes how much a retailer believes yeah, believes in a too, book yeah. like you know like i, I was impressed I was impressed by the number of stores that kind of came on and that they, that they wanted to they, and they wanted to do stuff and it just shows like they believe they have an audience to sort of push this stuff which is yeah. which is great. 
Uh, I want to talk about the good Asian a lot because there's a lot sure. that I really want to talk about. But I do want to talk about Infidel first. Sure. Because that's one. Um, so for a long time, I couldn't. I wasn't getting into indie books just because all of them were being published and then being sold out. So I could never <laughs> get a copy. Um, and then I was, I, I was like, you know, what? I'm just gonna read on my phone because I, mm. I needed to start doing that. Uh, my tablet's junk, so my phone will work. Um, and I, Infidel was one of the books that was with uh, Comicsology Unlimited, yeah. and all my friends were talking about. It, so I'll read this. That is a terrifying book. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate. I, I appreciate that. Thank as, you. As as someone who his my writing credits is our bread and butter like horror stories. I was like, oh, this is this is something else. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So from well, one horror writer to another, that's it's extremely good. I think. Thank you. I very much appreciate that. And all the credit in the world goes to my um my co my um in any event uh yeah no thank you first of all thank you and all the uh credit also goes to my co-creators aaron campbell and jose Villarubia and jeff powell it's a wonderful team working on that book and i had a great time working with them with uh writing uh, writing this kind of horror because like most horror is very i'm trying to find the right term for like genre specific horror like this is going to be a ghost story and which this is infidel is a ghost story in some in a lot of ways but it's a it's it's a social horror in a lot in most yeah. ways, and social horror doesn't get done as much. I feel like like the last social horror movie I could think of was It Follows that I watched. Okay, like, okay, and that okay. one's like because that one's like all about the the idea of STDs and stuff, but as a yeah, monster. yeah, so like yeah, so like Infidel is like a horror about Reese's ghost, right. and so yeah. it's, so it's very much social in that way. So like, what why did you decide that was the horror you were gonna go for? Um, it was funny. I think where it started from with me was, you know, the kernel of an idea happened and came in 2009, where we had just elected a black president. So therefore, we had licked racism. But meanwhile, like Islamophobia was like skyrocketing. Yeah. And so there was this idea to talk about the links between the two and to use and to use that to talk about just race and how, you know, we and, and at the time, too, I wanted to take a look at how like what racism looked like in sort of liberal communities as well. And and all those ideas would get sort of a lot more relevant after the 2016 sort of election. And so yeah. we started to have this very large conversation about race as, as a country. Um, from there, I think, and I think part of it, it was working for Vertigo for as long as I have, I had, and being a fan of comics and genre. There's a little bit of like, when you look at these ideas, there's a little bit of like a rolling, like spinning wheel of fortune where you like are constantly looking like, Ooh, what genre can I use to sort of explore this? Yeah. And so the idea of sort of like a lot of the themes of like gaslighting clicked along with like a lot of the, the moves and the tropes of a ghost story. Yeah. And so it all kind of worked really well. I'm, I think I think about a lot is something like Mike Carey uh, had talked about sort of when he's writing comics. And for him, it's about sort of where you where you plant your tent and what soil you plant your tent. And if you plant your tent in the right soil, um, you know, in this particular case, if you plant your tent in political soil, the story becomes political and you don't have yeah. to work for the story to become political. You don't have to editorialize. You know, the politics are are you know, it's literally rooted in the in the material. And so therefore, like finding something like a finding this angle on a haunted house story and setting my soil is very political, you know, or, or rooted in social causes in, in this particular case or social, social issues. Um, it allowed me to just tell a story. And because the characters are steeped in that world, um, that aspect of it came through. And so you don't have to work as hard to, yeah. you know, editorialize or send a message or anything like that. And, and I'll, 
I, I love the idea of like where you plant your flag, the story will just come from there. Yeah. Because um, because you can tell, and I I've, I've definitely been a writer that has done that where I've planted my flag somewhere else, but I tried to tell stories uh, like across yeah, yeah. the field. And right, it right, right. Yeah. It doesn't mix. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um. And so like yeah, it's very it's very important that as a as a writer as a creator in general like whatever you what you want to say that you start there, and then yeah. spread out from from there. Um. So you said you're from working at Vertigo for so long. I just kind of want to know, what is your origin with comics and then in comics? Like, so where did okay. you first started reading books, or like, where was the first book that you fell in love with the medium? Uh, I don't know what the well. Okay, my first comic was Amazing Spider-Man number two thirty, which is the second half of uh, Nothing Stops a Juggernaut, right. and then that would lead me. And then my first, because I ask this question a lot when I'm talking to people, the first comic I ever like read or followed and collected was Marvel Tales back when they were reprinting the old Stanley Steve Dick oh, yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah. So that was kind of like my entry point. And um and it, it, it was sort of casual sort of at that point. And I think when it picked up was when I was twelve, the family moved to Thailand. And we moved like very the way it kind of worked was that like way it worked in my family was mom and dad were like, we're going to Thailand for a year. So we're like, okay. So we all go to Thailand. And then like one year becomes two years, become three years. You're like, oh I think we live in Thailand now. I think they just moved <laughs> us to Thailand. And so for me, there was a piece of me that was like wondering who I would be if I stayed would stay in America if I stayed in America. And oddly enough, comics and TV and movies, but mostly comics and TV because that's the stuff that was free and or yeah. cheaper to afford, was my sort of connection to sort of my old life in 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 America. And so in 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 that sort of you know adolescent sort of you know growing up way your your wires get crossed a little bit and so for me there was something about like if I, the more i knew about comics and tv the more i could almost know about the person i would be if i never left yeah. and that kind of stuck with me sort of all through my life and that got me really so by the time i came to america for college like there because in thailand like i had a very limited pool of comics to choose from american comics to choose from and then when i got to america i had all these comics to choose from it but i still had that you know that that yearning was sort of you know still sort of imprinted on me and so that you know that sort of passion for comics and tv you know that would get me to a point where i you know ended up taking a job as an assistant editor at vertigo which was dc's you know creator own creator owned uh, imprint and at the time and uh and yeah and that you know at the time i took that i still wanted to be a writer but i took that job because it seemed like a opportunity of a lifetime to like work and learn from some of the writers who inspired me and some of the editors who inspired me and that time just treated me really well i went from assistant editor up within to editor within the span of about seven years from there i got invited to be part of a think tank to turn comics into other media out on the west coast and so i headed up uh, DC's TV division uh, and helped sort of start out the Arrowverse. And that was about four years. But then after that, I kind of wanted to get back to telling my own stories, which is kind of like, it, you know, it was just wonderful, but in a way a digression from like me telling my own stories that I wanted to do 12 years ago. Yeah. And so then I kind of went back and sort of started my career as a writer. It, that that's honestly the the most kind of inspiring story I've gotten so far in this show, Be, because the idea that you, you reading comics while you're over in Thailand is like, the, what would I be like? What yeah. what what is what is my other possible futures? It's so honestly inspiring in all the ways. It's like it it it's kind of what I love about the books too. Is like this is 
like this this could be the best of me if I had all the right things fall into place. I mean maybe yeah. not Peter Parker because Peter Parker himself is right, a right. flawed character, but most most superheroes like yeah. this is the best version of me. They have flaws, but they are the best versions of what humans can possibly achieve in some point. Uh, I mean that's the whole goal of Superman, right? Superman is the pinnacle yeah. of what a human could be. He's the savior of the the weak in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I hadn't really thought about that, but I think, but there's a lot of truth to that. And I think there's a lot of truth into sort of like how I, you know, the way those comics imprinted themselves on, on me as well. Yeah. That's really interesting. All right. So finally, the thing that everybody wants to hear about the good Asian, the, okay. the comic that comes out next week, uh, okay. uh, next Wednesday, uh, the, the best comic of the week. I want to say that right now. For, like, I don't know I don't oh, remember what else is coming out next week, but I know that this is the best comic of the week. Um, thank you. I really appreciate that. This comic for me personally comes out at a very interesting time of my media consumption because um, hmm. I watched recently uh, Brick by Ryan Johnson. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, awesome. I mean, I've been I've been obsessing over Warrior in general because I think the show is so well done, and I, and I just love action yeah. things. And so, like getting yeah, an yeah. action scene in every episode really totally. helps that show. But this, yeah. so I've been on a really big Nora kick, kick, and I've been on a very big like just Asian history kick because of just the way like yeah. the world kind of is right now, and like how right. little I I was taught <laughs> about things. Um, yeah. And so this book is a very much a medium for the two things I've been super fascinated about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and That's so, great. That's yeah. awesome. So it just hits on every single level. Like the dialogue is, I mean, fair warning to anybody who reads the book, the dialogue is going to be rough because of the time that the book is set in. But it's totally perfect for a noir. It's totally perfect for the era. And the art is, vib- uh, who's the who's the artist and colorist on um uh, Alex Alexander Tavengi is uh, is is the artist. Uh, Lee Lowridge is a colorist. Uh, they're both awesome. I met Alex through this project, and he is actually I'm I'm going to be calling him later on today uh, when he he has a uh, he has a two month old, and so his oh, yeah, life is that's... is chaos. <laughs> yeah, uh, but hopefully I will see I'll talk to him later on today. Um, and you know we've become like just good friends through this process. And Lee Lowridge actually. I've known for over 10 years, he was the very first comics professional to that I got drinks with and hung out with. So um, it's one of the things I love about comics. It's a chance to, you know, it's a chance to catch up with your old friends, but it's also a chance to make new friends. Yeah, just everything about the style of the book and the writing and the art uh, and the colors themselves just meld into a perfect um, era, era of comics and also a perfect era that you're trying to portray. So when you're reading it, you just get sucked in by like the second page. Like, I'm I'm reading uh the main character talk Thank to you. uh the young kid about like don't worry like either America will accept you or they won't and that's and you'll see which who who it truly is and like I'm reading this and I'm like we're two yeah. pages in and it's telling a, the more compelling story than ninety percent <laughs> of comics going on at times like thank you and thank so, you I appreciate that and it feels like th- this comic too has been in development for a while like the way that yeah. you talk about it and stuff on Twitter and through other interviews. Cause I listened to your word balloon one. It's like, it seems like oh, cool. it's been, a, this has been a minute. Like you've been working on this for Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I like, actually, yeah. I actually started working on this before infidel, uh, at yeah. least the research for it and like getting, you know, the way it tends to work for me is uh, I, 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 I'm not as prolific as I like to be, but yeah, I have so many stuff, so much stuff on my plate that, um, that I have, 
that if I have an idea, it usually has to sit around for a while before I actually have the time to write it, which is good for the, and it's not being good for the work itself. It's, it's yeah. not by design, but it ends up being good for work, the work itself because it gives me more time to obsess and like do background research on it and all that stuff. And then having Infidel be your, your Infidel was your first book, right? And then this yeah. would be the second, right? Yeah. Like, like, how does it feel to have two 10 out of 10 comics, like, right off the bat? Like, like well, uh... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like the way that they just, uh, like, the way you, like, let them sit and, like, settle, they're so impactful. Like, the first, I mean, I'm, I'm again, just basing this off the first issue, issue of The Good okay. Asian, but comparing to Infidel, was like, Infidel was perfect for the time and through the time up to now. It's still, like, very impactful. Yeah. And I think The Good Asian's hitting exactly at the time that it's going to be the most impactful and probably continue to be is like extremely impactful from here on out. And it's just, it's just wild <laughs> to me to yeah. see a, a writer get, nail it twice. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. And I don't, I don't know if I have any wood, but like knock on wood that it is impactful and that it is, that, that, that it, that it does find an audience. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's so funny. The one thing I will say, and it's all the credit in the world that I, I give to Image is that, and and, and I and I don't want to say it in a way just like to to slight any of the other publishers, but um, the way Image is set up just as a company, they're so you know you get greenlit and you go, and it's not like gotta run stuff off the flagpole with editors and with this and with all, sort of all that. And so for a lot, you know, for both Infidel and The Good Asian, there were aspects about it sort of when it pitched where we had no idea it was going to be relevant, right? Yeah. So like you know when we we pitched. Uh, we pitched Infidel before the 2016 election. And so the idea about talking about racism in sort of liberal communities, and not that that was a big portion of the book, but like there was definitely a conversation, you know, that I had very early on where it's like, no, 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 this book doesn't, it doesn't take place in Kansas. This stuff happens in New York. Yeah. Like, let's talk about what it looks like in New York. Racism exists in New York, you know? And, um, and, and so, at the time that it was pitched, they weren't conversations that were that were sort of talked about. Yeah. And so to have a publisher that gives you the freedom to say, and, and I think if I learned anything from Infidel too, Infidel, every issue of that book, I made a decision that kind of stressed me out. That kind of like, I don't know if the audience will go with me. Like, I don't know if the audience is going to agree with me on these sort of things, but it's what I, from looking at the world outside my window, really believe to be true. Yeah. And so, and I made my choices accordingly. And that taught me, and th that was an experience that was rewarded. And so that was definitely something I brought into the good Asian, which is like, I don't know if anyone agrees with me. I don't know if people want to talk about Asian American history. I don't know if people, there's any history, there's any interest for it, but like, this feels like this feels like the right moment to talk about this. So I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it as truthfully as I can based on the knowledge and the research that I've done. And then the world kind of, you know, caught up to a certain extent. And, and you know, and the way the good Asian has been sort of relevant with, you know, the, the, the rising rate of anti-Asian hate crimes has been very surreal and very weird all through the writing of the book to sort of the announcement of the book. Yeah. And I have been trying to figure out like how to sort of place the book along that conversation just for myself and forget, forget like for other, with other people. Um, and, and and so the whole relevance, and you know, a, a lot of time, like for me, I don't realize the relevance of it, um, you know, that it's going to be relevant when I'm sort of pitching the book. Most of the time, it just comes from this idea of like, this is something we're not talking about, and let's talk about it. And and you know, you'll you get lucky if the world is in the mood to talk about it, and the yeah. world is you know it wants to have that conversation. I know that we uh, we all love the crowd that's like keep politics out of comics. They're, they're the <laughs> best. Um, but I think 
pro- properties like The Good Asian and Bitterroot and then like talking about TVs and movies like uh, Warrior and uh, like I'm watching Killing Eve. I was watching Killing Eve. Okay. The stuff that they deal with in that, like some of the, the weird tropes that they deal with that. It's like make good stories around these topics and you will get people so interested in it that they will actually go and research. And I yeah. think that's really important in general. It's like, no, yeah. don't, keep, don't keep the don't keep the politics don't keep the conversation out of the book because if the book is good and it generates those topics then you're gonna have the readers go man i need to know what actually happened yeah. in this time because there's so much like again i'm watching where i'm watching i'm reading the book and i'm like i didn't know any of this happened like any mm-hmm. of these things happened i didn't know people were i mean i know people were treated poorly a lot and and still are but i was like i was like i didn't know that there was this bad in these areas Right, right, and, right, and it's it's so eye opening in so many ways that it's like, man, I got a good book and I got a slap in the face to like, <laughs> like, like realize like the the history of this world. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, and, and and yeah, I think you know, like any stories, you can tell them well and you can tell them poorly, and I do think sort of like for you know political stories or stories that deal with sort of social issues and all that, the, the, the tightrope is a little more narrow, you know, there, there's less of a margin for error. But I do think when you're telling these stories, what a lot of times what it comes down to, it, it is, is that it's less about, you know, I get people who say, when people say, I don't want politics in my books, or I don't want social issues in my books. I, I think what they're actually saying is I, I don't want it done badly Yeah. because the truth of the matter is it's in every book. It's in every sort of story. And there are certain stories where they acknowledge it a little bit more, where it, it says, well, let's not overlook these aspects. And, and, and like in any story, and it, again, it depends on your intent, but the fuller, the more three-dimensional, the rounder, the, the the picture the more engaging the story is so i think it's it really is just a matter you know so so telling these kind of stories it, it it's less of oh i want there to be politics and it's just more about you know or or i want to say something about the world and, and all that it's more just about let's just be honest about what this looks like let's yeah. you know have sort of a richer you know uh, richer specificity. And, and it is just sort of an evolution of the storytelling. You know, it's the same reason why when you're watching Star Trek, uh, the original series, there's a certain glossing over of science that yeah. you're fine with. But then when, you know, but you can't watch that same show now without getting a little bit more into the, the specifics of what we know about science and, yeah. and all that. So that specificity is what changes and evolves over time. Um, and then and then you're just hoping to sort of be on the right side of sort of a history on it. You know, there's a lot of stuff that was very progressive for the time and you look at it now and you're just like oh i don't know about that well i'm actually like re- i'm watching the original star trek for the first time with my mm. parents slowly and it is like some of like the issues that they're tackling I'm like oh this is brilliant for the time it came out like these are the issues that it's going yeah. for and then every once in a while i'm like ooh, yeah <laughs> there's there's the age showing um <laughs> yeah yeah totally um, totally and, and the same thing like i, I watched through deep, deep space nine recently it's the same thing mm. like, that's in the 90s a lot of really progressive things in there but at the same time every once in a while i'm like ah that one that yeah, one doesn't yeah. hit right um right and i think with stories like uh the good agent and like superman uh, smashes the clan or even like mm. modern like not modern but like main continuity comics like what's going on currently in batman because like i always comes back yeah. to batman with me um the social issues that they're tackling batman's probably the lightest of them all because it is talking about wealth and it's also talking about 
kind of vig- like v- vigilantism and how like are the cops effective are they not effective yeah. things like that it's dealing with those issues but on a very low level to the point that you can miss them completely which is right. totally fine because it's still telling a very good narrative that propels the book but then with the good asian superman smashes the clans like no these are the issues that we want to talk like superman smashes the clans like alienation and racism right. let's talk about it but it yeah. does it so perfectly well that if you do not like what it's trying to tell you then you need to talk to yourself because <laughs> <laughs> it's not doing it in a way that that makes you feel like it's targeting someone's trying you're like no this is bad and this is good and this is how these play out and then the good asian does a really good blend of mixing the good and the bad and showing that like uh with your lead being a cop like in, in working with um i, I remember the the partner's name but he's like he's o- he's, o'malley yeah. o'malley like he's the worst like it's like yeah. but he's working with him because he's like i gotta play the game like i gotta play right. this game and so like you are mixing both the the like in your face good versus evil but with uh, the the gray in it too because yeah. there is gray and like the and that has to play into it so I think like like it's a good blend of everything right there. Well, thank you, thank you. I really and then the noir parts just it's just it's good noir like it's just good. <laughs> yeah. The dialogue's thank, thank so you. good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, I really appreciate that. Thank thank you, I really appreciate that because the dialogue especially is something. I, I think it's it's accurate to say I labored over the dialogue. Well, the, that's, that's that's how good noir works, right? Is is the dialogue yeah. of all? Because if the dialogue's bad in noir, no, the, the story's bad. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the I, pinnacle I, yeah. of that that genre. Yeah, no, it's really true, and and it, it's funny too because like, there's a certain like you know 1930s patois that it, you've got to calibrate just right because mm-hmm. you know you lean too hard, it it, it borders into self parody, yep. but at the same time. And, and I've seen actually a lot of writers do away with it completely, um, and it still works. That 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 the ambiance kind of like sets it up enough. But for this particular book, because we were being so specific in our accuracy on so many different aspects, it felt like we had to find our own balance on 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 the slang of the time versus having it sound contemporary to 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 our ears. Yeah, and like a, a comic, I would I would compare it to at least dialogue wise is like Sandman Mystery Theater. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like Matt Wagner did a really good job. Of he did a great job. Up the the dialogue and the tone of that era and the art. Yeah, like the art always helps that, but it's very key. And like talking about Brick is like Brick set in the high school. Yeah, like like watch like a half an hour in, you just forget that. You just forget yeah. it because the dialogue's so on point, and it's different than other types of mystery. To compare and contrast Ryan Johnson movies, like Knives Out is an Agatha Christie mystery. Yeah, that is not the same as a noir mystery. Yeah. So the dialogue is very snippy and like very quick, and everybody's very prompt and precious, and like they're so different. And I think some people, like the like general audiences, kind of uh, like don't remember the difference in mysteries they just think of yeah, yeah. agatha christie mysteries or right right or murder she wrote mysteries um where noir is such a dirtier grimier thing and the dialogue's more like phrases and catchphrases and like and like uh idioms and stuff like that instead of like just very quick and to the point <laughs> yeah yeah and, and it's tricky too because like in, in a way it's not like noir isn't a genre like horror. You can yeah. set some goalposts that you may say, "Oh, this is a horror book." Yeah, noir has such there's so much subtlety in sort of the tropes and all that. So it's like you, you got you have to hit it at a bunch of different angles very gently because, like you know, it's something like we uh, we thought about a lot on this book. It's like 
if you have too many fight scenes in a noir book, well, then it turns into Batman. Yeah. Exactly. So like, you know, so you've got it, like, there's all these little aspects that you need to kind of keep it w- within the, especially what we're doing, which is sort of that detective gumshoe noir of like keeping it there. But, you know, take like, our book is very much influenced by like the pulp novels, you mm-hmm. know, the Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe and like Lou Archer, like all those novels, as opposed to the movies, which even that is a different type of noir yeah. than, than than the old detective noir that, that came that came from the books. I, I think the big uh, one of the bigger like story pacing things, too, that people don't pick up on all the time is the plotting of it, the pacing of it. It's like. Mm there there is there is a sense of space in noir stories that you don't get in most mysteries because the mysteries have to go clue to clue to clue yeah, like yeah. the thing about sherlock holmes is like he's always moving he's always doing something yeah. he's always thinking and that's the reason yeah. he's like so compelling as a detective but noir it's uh, it's your detective and noirs have to um, get a clue and be and think about it because yeah. they're not like they're not like on it right away right. they're like thinking and that's like the best thing about the art and mm. like I'm, I'm, like I'm gonna like nerd out. It's like one of my favorite yeah. things about movies doing this too. But you can do it with comics because comics are just such a good medium for it. It's when he hyper focuses on something, and so the yeah. art zooms in, and then you yeah. get the great color work of the box around it to like different yeah. like to make show it's a clue for him. Yeah. And then and then after you see it, he an- tells you what he just saw and how he's analyzing yeah. it, and like that just works. It just works. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was something that me and Alex talked about a lot. It was like, you know, it's funny, like, you know, Batman's probably one of the most famous detectives, like in all of pop culture, but, you know, aside from Batman and and because Batman is so often more in superhero mode than detective mode, um, there aren't a ton of detectives in comics, yeah. you know, at least in contemporary comics. And you see a lot more of them in, you know, film and TV. And as a result, you've seen all these like, cinematic techniques to show how a detective thinks but one of the fun things we found in this book was like oh there hasn't been as many as much comics to talk about sort of using the language of comics to sort of show that so this was our sort of opportunity to do that and be like all right what can we do to show in the same way that like in Sherlock they're doing stuff that's very specifically cinema to show how Sherlock Holmes thinks what can we do in comics to make it like to show how Edison Hart thinks while at the same time and I think it goes back to what you were saying about how you know they don't just go from clue to clue to clue the other thing about noir is that they're not super detectives yeah they're not right they're just regular guys that's the greatest thing about Philip Marlowe like the thing I love about Philip Marlowe is like Philip Marlowe's basic superpower is just being an asshole like he's basically like he's just like he he'll sit around he'll be a dick people will get aggravated they'll tell him something they shouldn't tell him because he's such a dick and he's like all right well there's something that and i'm just gonna and i'm just gonna go go to this or the next thing it's one of the the things i love the most about that character so for this it was sort of trying to to toe this line of i want to use the 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 language of comics to sort of talk about the things that he can do while still keeping grounded and relatable that he's just a regular guy yeah. that he's not just like Sherlock Holmes and can like back 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 do all this stuff and and there's a sense of talking about jadedness like most noir detectives yeah. are pretty jaded yeah and like that's why a lot of times like they're called private dick not just because it's short for detective <laughs> right, but also because right. they're just jerks um, yeah and there's but there's an over you can overdo it and it be, again it becomes yeah. self parody of itself yeah and you can underdo it and you could be like why is he doing this at all like what's the point yeah. because that harness does give them that motivation to keep going because they're yeah. so tired of everything they're just always so tired yeah. of everything yeah yeah oh, go ahead uh, uh, and I was just saying like in general in most mediums like good noir has gone like gone the way of 
a good Western where Westerns were yeah. everywhere. Noir was everywhere. Yeah. And now it's kind of just died out. So you only get a good noir story like once every five years from people. Like you don't get it all the time. So when I... it's good and it nails it, it's like, this is dessert. This is the best thing. I really appreciate and it's the same that. thing with a good Western. It's like when a good Western yeah. comes out, you're like, ah, oh, this is, this is yeah. the life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really true. That's really true. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, God, when was the last good Western? I mean, Pulp was kind of the last good Western. Western because that was, yeah, that was, yeah, it was very yeah cool. that was like the blend be- between that was a blend between crime and and Western and and Westerns, but it, but yeah. it was it was still very much a Western. Yeah. So so yeah, but no, yeah, you're right. It's tough to find like a a good Western comic is few and far between. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um. I, I don't want to keep you for super long. Um. So uh, let's. I'm gonna move into some questions that uh, people uh, submitted for the show this week. Sure, uh, sure, cool. So Jonathan Thompson asks, "What's your process on pitching a book, and what does pitching a book mean to you? Like, what's kind of the? Do you go in it like full emotion? Is like this is like this is why I'm doing this. Like this is why I'm um, giving you this book right now. Or is it kind of just like I'm just gonna give them the book and see what they think? So I, I always feel guilty because this. It sounds like I'm doing, I, I'm shilling for myself and trying to sell product. Yeah. But it, but it's also the reason why I did it. Uh, if you have or, or buy or take it out from your library or get it through Comicsology Unlimited, uh, the trade for Infidel, I actually include the 16-page pitch packet that I that we use to green to get green Infidel greenlit, and that is everything. Like there was nothing extra in that pitch packet that I did in order to get that book sort of across. So, so, so people can see exactly what, what I did to get that to, to, to and, and how I pitch a book. Uh, that said, and I'm, I'm working from memory now, um, there is usually a cover letter and that cover letter is also in the pitch packet where I just try to tell the story in sort of a paragraph, uh, you know, what the hook of the story is and all that in sort of a paragraph. I am a very big believer having come as an editor, if you can't boil your down if you can't boil your story down to like a paragraph or two of paragraphs, you probably don't understand well enough how it works. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I've been in the case of, I've been pitching something right now and it is, and, and sometimes you have to write out the whole thing. And sometimes when you write the whole thing, you think like, Oh, I got it. But then you go to the place like, all right, I've written out this whole thing. You know, I've beaten it out issue by issue. Oh, but I, but I don't know how to describe it in a paragraph that usually means there's something integral in the story that that you've used all that detail to hide the fact that there's something about the story that you don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's your middle, maybe it's like the, the integral genre piece, like who the bad guy is, or the fact maybe you don't have a bad guy when you think you, an antagonist when you think you have an antagonist, all these kind of things. So, you know, whatever you can do to sort of shrink down the way you pitch it is actually a tool. That doesn't mean you it has to start that way. You, you know, I definitely a person who works big and, but then it's all about whittling, 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 whittling. It's like, what's the core concept of it? Yeah. Um, and what else do I do? Uh, you know, I always write the first, actually did I, for, for Infidel, for, for Infidel, I, I, I did this, uh, but I usually have a first script ready by the time I talk to an artist. And then what I do is I rewrite it when the artist is involved so I can kind of see so I can use, you know, so I can kind of tailor it to him. But like when I pitch a book, it is, uh, I have a script, I have eight pages of the art done. And so I've gotten sort of my team together. I, um, what else do we have? We have character sketches. We have uh, a two page uh, document detailing sort of the story. Um, and I think one of the things we do too, I think that in that two page document, it's like in a nutshell, in a, I'm trying to, in a nutshell, there's a log line. This is the protagonist. 
this is the story. And what you want to do is have every section. You think what you think you're doing is you're splitting it up to so, as like different things, uh, different categories to make it sort of easy to read. But what you don't realize or what what you're actually doing is you're breaking it down. Those categories are actually how you're telling the story. So like you could say, this is this is my hook. Okay, so your hook's like, oh, that gets them to lean in. Well, these are my themes. Okay, this is what the story's gonna be about. This is the context. This is when it takes place is how it takes sort of place. Then it can be, I just did one that's about, I don't, can't remember what happens after that. Uh, it, it might be, this is the premise. So the premise that that is in, in one sense, what the solicitation copy might be, but it's yeah. also what your first issue will probably be too. Yeah. And then that, okay, this is the protagonist. And that tells you the character and the character work, the character story you're gonna tell. And this is the story. And whenever I put down what the story is, what I don't, hopefully if I've done my job right, what the, what the person reading it doesn't realize is, oh, you're actually reading, if you're thinking of it as a movie, acts two and three yeah. of it. Because in that sort of setup, in those categories, I've set up the entire first act of sort of my story. But it is it, but it is a way to do it, so you break it down. So it, on the one hand, it feels piecemeal. So a, a editor can look at it and be like, oh, I instantly know what that is. But when you put them, line them up all together, you're actually telling the story in the process. That's all really abstract. And it's one of the reasons why I, uh, I put like sort of the pitch, again, this sounds like naked shilling for, for, for my stuff, but, um, but part of the reason why I put the pitch is it, I, I do kind of want people like, you know, I, I, when I was working at Vertigo, we used to give out uh, volume three of Sandman Dream Country all the time. And it was because Neil Gaiman's script was in there and it was, yeah. and so many comic book writers learned how to write, at least the ones who came through Vertigo and some of the ones who didn't come through Vertigo who tried to, or, or try to come from other mediums, they learned how to write from reading Neil Gaiman's script. But I had never seen sort of a pitch so that anyone, so someone could see what a pitch looks like. Yeah. And, and and that and so i wanted you know people to see what a pitch looks like and again like that i didn't do anything else anything else but that pitch to get the book and that's 100 percent how how i pitch a book um and then for the good asian itself how did you start development on it and like where did that like kind of escalate to near the end i mean i think for me it was i mean there was just a ton of research you know a ton a ton of research that i sort of did and then, and as you're doing the research, you're kind of trying to figure out, like you've got all this sort of stuff. And to me, the process, you're constantly whittling it down to sort of like, what's the hook? What's that idea that you can kind of wrap it around? How do you talk about it in a sentence or two sentences and, and, and all that? And because once you know that, then you kind of know, all right, you can kind of tell like sort of what aspects of the book you want to lead with when you're trying to yeah. hook, on, hook people on. So once I had sort of all that, I'm trying to think, I think I came up with sort of like my two page I think I did something like a two-page pitch document just to make sure I had it clear in my head. And in my two-page pitch document too, it's also kind of like why this book matters now, why yeah. this book, you know, and, and all that. And then I think from there, the first person I went to was my friend, Will Dennis, who's my editor on the book. And Will, you know, recommended my first Chandler novel to me. He's what, Will Dennis edited Scout. He edited 100 Bullets. He, you know, he he edits now Noctera and you know, Jeff Lemire's books and Rick Remender's books. So he he edits all the great image books. He edits almost all the great crime comics. Yeah. And he's like one of my best friends in comics. So it was such a no brainer to go to him. It's like, Will, if you don't like this book, then I've done something wrong. So either you love this or you tell me what I can do to make this a book you're going to love because this is like, this is so tailor-made for you. Yeah. Like, and and so and that's well that was the process and uh, and then from there he flipped over the concept 
Uh, he has some great notes as he always does. And, and then it was a matter of like looking for an artist. And, you know, I knew I wanted an Asian artist for this primarily because, um, you, you know, just, just for a shorthand in terms of like things that, you know, details that I wouldn't have to sort of describe, and, you know, to, to go into minutia and all that sort of stuff. And, and so that there could be sort of an authenticity in, in, de in detail that, because, you know, as opposed to someone who might have learned this sort of stuff from like watching anime or something. Yeah, that. So yeah. then, you're, then you're just getting someone who, who is, is doing an interpretation of an interpretation. And so, and one of the things that actually was, was um, really gratifying to find was it was really hard to find an artist for a while. Like so many of the Asian artists that were working were like taken up and booked up on stuff and we're like, oh, yeah. wow, you know. Uh, things had changed a lot sort of since when I was an editor and uh, and we got enormously lucky that uh, it was at New York Comic Con that Alex Tefengi, Tefengi was um, talking to, to catching up with Cliff Chang and he was just wrapping out Outpost Zero for Skybound and 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 Alex has a you know fascinating story in and of himself is that he was born in Africa raised in France um, and I think for a long time he thought his father was sort of half Lebanese and then and one of the things he found out very late in his life was that he was adopted and that his father was sort of actually Vietnamese or partially Vietnamese. And that and very late in his life at like 34, he found out he was Asian and he did not know this. And so he was he was so passionate about this and so 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 inspired by this that he moved his entire family to Vietnam just to get closer to his Vietnamese yeah. roots and to learn that aspect of himself. And so he was telling this whole story uh, to Cliff and saying like, oh, I'm looking for my next job. And Cliff is like, I know the exact book you need to be working <laughs> on right now. And so Cliff like, because Cliff is a friend of me and Wills and knew we were looking for an artist. And he's like, you guys have to like talk to Alex. And then Alex's art was like amazing. And then we talked and we're just like, oh my God, yes, we have to work together for this. Yeah. This is so perfect. And so uh, and so that's how Alex came to, came to it. Uh, Lee came from I've known Lee forever. He was part of a couple different colorists that we gave Alex and Alex instantly flipped over what Lee did. So he became a no brainer. Jeff Powell is someone I work with from Infidel and I love working with Jeff so much. He gives like 150% to everything. And uh, and yeah, and and that and and that's that's, that's how the, the book, and then after that we pitched it to Image and they were on board. When you started, did you want it to be noir or like did that come through like as it was developing? It The, the noir came, the noir came almost immediately. I, 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 because partly for me, what I found interesting is as you're kind of spinning through that Rolodex of like, I want to talk about this. Like, where yeah. do you, how do you talk about this? Was the, and when I was younger, I was fascinated with sort of the Asian crime solvers of the 1930s, like Charlie Chan and Mr. Moto and like Mr. Wong. And Charlie Chan especially was enormously popular. Oh, wow, I lost all my time. <laughs> it was, Charlie Chan especially was enormously popular. Uh, and with like, you know, I think over 50 movies, they were, it was a global franchise and it was fascinating to, and, and it, it's heyday was in the 1930s. And I was, um, it was amazing to me after learning about the Chinese Exclusion Act, which, uh, you know, barred Chinese immigrants from coming into America from 1882 to 1943 and the Immigration Act of 1924 that banned all Asians and Arabs coming into America after 1924 to um, that, wow, these Asian crime solvers were so popular and yet Asian immigrants couldn't actually enter the country. Yeah. So that felt like such an interesting juxtaposition. And then, so once I was looking at that, then Noor kind of became like the natural 
like the natural sort of genre. And then too, it was like if you look at sort of like the tropes and of a of a noir, it fits so well the story I wanted to tell, the jadedness, the the conflict in the conflict between the character, and so. And when it ticks off the boxes like that, again, it, like going back to what I said earlier, it's all about sort of like where you plant your soil. So there was such fertile soil and everything lined it up. And like going back to what you said, it wasn't a case where this is what I want to talk about, but all the things I need to do as part of the story are way over here. They were all on top of each other. Yeah. So it, it, it came together pretty quickly. And I, I just I just remember this now. If anybody wants to prepare for this book, there is a great uh, Criterion playlist on the app that they have right now of just Asian noir. Oh, oh! I have to check that out. Yeah, That's awesome. It's like just a bunch of Japanese uh, noir movies, as far as I know. And That's awesome. I, I, I've been watching them because I, I like whenever I have free time, I try to watch a Criterion movie so I feel smarter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're just fun. They're like a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a lot of there's some Kurosawa ones in there too, and it's like. And now I'm thinking about it, it's like that's like that's another reason why like, this book hits so hard because I've been watching all those movies and they that's just amazing. Fit. They just fit. Um, that's amazing. I can't remember the name of the Kurosawa one off the top of my head, but the whole thing is about a detective who loses his gun. Uh, and the oh, whole wow. movie, the whole movie is him trying to get his gun back, and then the person who has his gun starts committing murders. And that's so great. It, it's it's a it's a brilliant like slow burn like a detective story. Um, you know, I gotta I have to look into that more. I I most of my Kurosawa knowledge is on his samurai movies and yeah. not his noir and I yeah. really need to bone up on his noir movies because yeah. they are fantastic I'll look, I'll look up the name right after this so we, I can tell you okay. what it is but uh, yeah but there's other ones in there that are just a lot of fun and I think like if anybody wants to prepare for this book because it comes out Wednesday so you have a couple days yeah. like just download that app get like a free subscription for like a week and just watch <laughs> a couple of those like cause yeah. I, think, I think it's a good way to prepare yourself for like what the story is because it fits like perfectly um, <laughs> another question I had is uh, what, do you, what do you personally hope people get out of the story like in general. Oh God. Um, I mean, more than anything, I hope they're entertained. I hope they're entertained and compelled and moved and thrilled. Like all the things I feel where I'm, when I'm reading a good, good noir mystery, but also when I'm reading a great like comic, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm such a fan of comics. And the thing about, if you look at crime comics, like all the best comic writers have like worked in crime. So it's such a high bar. So I, you know, I'm trying my best to just give as close to the experience that I get when I'm reading Brubaker or Azarello or, or Bendis or Jason Aaron or Darwin Cook or Frank Miller. So I'm really just you know trying to get there. And then, you know, it as a secondary thing, like I hope they learn stuff about Asian American history that they they didn't know before. And I hope that inspires them to learn a little bit more specifically Asian American history, but just also about American history, about how so many facets of it, especially sort of for marginalized communities have been sort of left out of the history that we teach. And, and, and that, you know, hopefully, you know, we acknowledge a lot, a lot more of it. There's a ton that I don't know. There's a ton that I don't know about everything. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, and that's something like I'm continually wanting to learn more about. And I think like again, stories like these are so important because the, the older I get and because I, I I I like to think that I'm old, but I'm also I feel, I'm still pretty young. So like it, <laughs> it like it's a weird middle ground. But yeah. like I, I talk to friends all the time. It's like it really is becoming more and more apparent how much we didn't understand the phrase that we were taught that history is written by the victors. Yeah. How much that actually is just kind of screwed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's, there's it's funny. there's so many stories yeah. that are just gone or, yeah. or missing that are so important. Yeah, um, you know, we, we, we are at a time now that which is interesting where we're having more of a conversation about challenging the stories that we're told. Yeah. And and that is really that is really exciting. And it it is, you know, it to go into your point, like it is 
forcing us to take a look at like, oh, well, what are the consequences of, you know, history of being only being told by the victors? Yeah. Um, very last question and, sure. uh, is, I know that you talked about in the word balloon that you want to do more of these stories yeah. if they're successful. But I, one of my favorite things about noir is if noir is super successful, there's spinoffs. Uh, and like the characters mm. that show up in multiple stories get their own spinoffs and like you can kind of oh, see other areas of noir. Do you have characters in in this first run that you were like, I would love to tell their story? That's separate. yes, because I would love to see like kind of a good Asian kind of universe. That <laughs> I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Yes. The answer is 100% yes. Uh, the thing for the good Asian that I would need to figure out in order for that to happen is it feels to me now that every volume of the good Asian takes a whole lot of research and work on my, on my part. So, so um, if I could find the right person to make that easier for me, so I don't have to do that entire, yeah. Or, or even like if there's someone who knows more about this aspect and I'll lend out that character for them to sort of tell that sort of story. There is a good Asian universe that I absolutely would like to fill out. I'm, I can guarantee it's not going to happen as quickly as I would like it to <laughs> yes, yeah, because because of all the research and work that's involved in the book. Uh, Pornzak, thank you for coming on and talking with me about this. Uh, this has been like one of the most fun books I've read recently and one of the most fun talks I've had recently. Thank you. Um, where can people find you to get updates on the book and just follow you for like your words of wisdom and like just stuff you like? <laughs> Uh, to follow me for stuff I like, because Lord knows there won't be any words of wisdom, is uh, real underscore pornsack at on Twitter and real underscore psack on Instagram. Yeah, hearing that they don't like the name porn in uh, in any username on Instagram, <laughs> it's like, man, Zuckerberg, you have weird standards. <laughs> yeah, no, they have very weird standards there. They have very weird standards. <laughs> uh, for this show, you can follow us on Twitter at YComicsPod, uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash YComicsPodcast. You can email me at YComicsPodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions for a guest, want to be a featured guest on the show, or have a story about how comics impacted you and you want that read on air, you can reach me at any of those places. Uh, please leave a review and tell a friend if you like the show. Uh, the logo is done by my uh, by Andy Manley. Banners are by my friend Steven. And the theme is Join the Restaurant by David Sidzetsi. And lastly, everybody, remember that Captain America also punched Nazis. <laughs>